The mist rolled through the fields of fading green like silent waves on a forgotten ocean, giving the autumn pathways of the local park an even more eerie setting within the dawn's early hours. In the Smoky Mountains, if one got up early enough on the right morning, it was almost like getting to jog through Silent Hill, like stepping foot into another world, before the sun would rise and chase the fog away, like a shepherd scaring off the wolves so the herd could walk along safely. None of the other sheep saw me follow her. Obscured by forest and mist, I followed the woman's scent from the woodline of her apartment complex, which is only about a mile away all the way to the park's entrance, which borders the local college. This convenient setup has delivered me several victims so far, most of which are naive young college students, just like little Jennifer here, who is now about a half a mile into her morning jog before class. I've been watching her for almost a fortnight now, and must wait until she hits the one mile mark before I move on her. For at one mile, she reaches her peak performance level, and she will need every ounce of her strength if she's to survive my presence, and she must have somewhat of a chance if the hunt is to be enjoyed. If there is not a chance for her to escape, then it's not a hunt, but simply killing. And that is not enough, not for such graceful and beautiful prey. She's only about 500 yards away now, cutting through the mist like a sentient blade with her perfect form and relentless speed. I begin to slowly unfurl myself from the image of man, breaking and reforming my bones and tendons as the facade of humanity melts away with the pink flesh around my rapidly expanding skeleton. Although she has earbuds in playing loud pop music, I try to slow my transformation so the sound of snapping marrow and ripping muscle won't alert her to my close proximity, which she inches closer to every second. As my metamorphosis becomes complete, so does the gap between us as she reaches a parallel position to me. Within the forest, I see the very first telltale sign of her brain recognizing something is wrong recognizing me, as her nostrils begin sniffing the air, no doubt smelling my sweet and lovely sulfuric rot. I know she has smelled me prior to this morning, but probably justified it within her mind as the decay of a natural forest animal. However, I'm about as unnatural as a creature can be in this world, at least on this side of the veil. I know she has felt my presence too. For each time she runs, the number of times she looks back and around becomes more and more prevalent. Her head has been on a swivel the entire mile to me, frantically scanning for the threat that she is running directly to. You should have always stayed back in the barn with the rest of the lambs, little girl. But you're not a sheep at all, are you? No. You're something a bit more... Something courageous, something restless and fast, something delicious. The sheep all freeze in place, all lay down for the slaughter with pleading cries, but 
you will be different. You will run away with practice skill, fueled by desperate adrenaline. And I can no longer hold back, no longer need to as I take my first heavy step towards you from out of the woods. The fog thick with your sweat and fear, your scent parting up my nostrils as the mist parts around my advancing figure as I move slowly towards you with strained patience. Before you take in my full horrific visage through the fog, you fulfill my greatest desire and run like you have never run before. Thank you, Jennifer. I promise not to make you wait long. As she sprints off at a speed superior to most of her kind, I jump onto the gravel path and begin my pursuit, forcing myself to go slow before I can no longer take the manic excitement and begin charging after her. She tries cutting through the field to make a shortcut towards the parking lot, but I knew she would. For I have planned this extensively and began turning through the field even before her. By the time she realizes her mistake, it was already too late. As she glanced back, I was already reaching the pinnacle of my jump and pounced upon her before she could even consider a course correction. As my jaw unhinges for the first exquisite taste, I thank her for her to return a fiery fuck you at me before I begin, a fighter down to her very last moments. Fighters always taste the best. The dream woke me up at precisely 3.33am as they always do, making me spring out of bed so instantly that it almost felt violent as my breath pants strong with still lingering adrenaline and sweat pours heavy and slowly fading excitement and fear. As the implications of the dream ease into my consciousness, so does a smile, gently warming its way up my face like a welcome sunrise. I had been growing quite bored waiting for my next vision of the hunt, waiting for my next wayward victim to track down. As I rise out of bed to relieve my bladder, I stop and stare at the silver crucifix that was gifted to me years prior, gently rubbing my thumb and index finger around the circular band that surrounds the crucifix, right where the two crosses intersect. For several minutes, I become lost in this act, circling my thumb around the silver band as the warm, subtle vibrations of the powerfully blessed precious metal calm the storm within my mind. The concealed energy within it creates electric goosebumps that shoot up my arm and ascend through my spine like a charged battery flowing through a circuit board. I stop and wonder, just how many times this special amulet has hidden my true presence from my prey and then let out a small bout of laughter at the previous memories of the hunt. I release the silver amulet as it gently slaps against the tall mirror it's hung on, making me take notice of myself. The dark sky blue that usually fills up my irises is glowing a fierce yellow, but that always happens when I have a premonition, the dream drawing out the power within me regardless of my level of control over it. I breathe in and out deeply as the vibrant yellow dulls, then transitions back to blue. 
How excited I am to find you, Jennifer. How truly happy I am to once again be the hunter. Don't worry, I promise not to make you wait long. I sighed deeply as the alarm snooze function on my cell phone issued out loudly for the third time. My parents never allowed me to sleep past the third sounding of the alarm's five-minute snooze delay, and it was a habit I kept through all three years of college so far. Fuck, I say in half-mumbled tone as the hazy fog of sleep refused to dissipate from my now-walking but still-clouded mind. Although I had been doing fairly well at switching out my morning caffeine for ginger and turmeric tonic, I have a full class schedule and I need to get some cardio in after I do pull-ups and push-ups, so I'm definitely going to have to approve some fresh brewed coffee quite immediately. A lot of my classmates are prescribed Adderall or even use meth to enhance their motivation for such obstacles and I'd be lying if I said I never tried to do the same before, unfortunately. About three quarters of the way through my freshman year, I became overwhelmed, overworked, hyper-anxious, depressed, spiritually lost, and pretty much any other negative side effects this world can throw at us at the hardest of times. And this unwanting blending of hopeless emotion led to make some less than logical or safe life decisions. Fortunately, things like speed, alcohol, and most other drugs end up having adverse or unpleasant effects on me, with the actual enjoyment of the substance being outweighed by the horrid after-effects with the gravity of a planet. The ratio of enjoyment compared to then feeling like rotten death after partaking was never even close to being balanced with the latter always being far superior for me, and thus, it not being fun or worth it at all. Although I didn't want to be able to enjoy doing such obvious self-destructive acts, it was still annoying seeing how others could sometimes functionally use this for their benefit, while I had to fight tooth and nail with every ounce of my energy and willpower to even try to succeed. This is a blessing, Jen. I reminded myself and thought of how these substances have turned my cousin Charlotte into the walking dead, of how she was a track star and piano prodigy, and how she now sells her body and robs storage units for drugs. Although the memory of my cousin's de-evolution in life saddens me deeply, the perspective shifts of my own situation hardens my resolve and wills me to grab my running shoes as the coffee maker hisses and sputters its usual symphony, signaling that the last remnants of my morning brew are now ready for consumption. After a few sips of coffee, I chug some blanched chain amino acids and start my pre-run push-ups and pull-ups before I start thinking about my life too long and therefore lose motivation. After about a half an hour, I complete my strength training and head out the front door to the park. The only inner debate I have left at this point is music, motivational speech, or horror story to feel my run with. I decide on the story. After noticing that my favorite YouTube narrator uploaded a new 48-minute story with an interesting title, something about the Olympic Mountains, 
and I've wanted to move to poor Angeles ever since I watched Twilight as a little girl. I select part one and begin my morning run with a bit more enthusiasm now. It takes about a half mile of steady jogging before my anxiety begins transitioning into endorphins and a full mile in until I get my prime stride, making my arms and leg pump back and forth methodically like mechanical pistons as I become a more driven machine than tenacious woman at this point. I lose myself in the horror story as the narrator's deep voice lulls me along. The thick morning mist ascends the suspenseful tale like ketchup on hot crisp french fries. Oh god, I say out loud laughing at myself. I must really be getting hungry if even my inner monologue are dominated by food metaphors now. I quickly look behind me doing a 360 turning spin so as to not fully break my stride whilst glancing back. And this is not the first time I've done this today. Why did I even do that? I try asking myself honestly, and generally have to think about it before I'm completely honest with myself. I was scared. Why though? I asked myself. Nobody was there at the time, or the other two times. I've listened to creepy pastas and other scary stories while doing night runs, so this little morning jog should be nothing. You know that feeling you sometimes get in the middle of the night? That feeling like you're being watched in the darkness by something? Then the feeling gets so unignorable that it forces you to get up and turn the lights on. But not too quickly though, because you don't want to let it know that you know it's there. Whatever it is. That feeling had been growing inside me like a virus ever since I left the apartment. And save for the coverage of the rolling fog, all the lights in the world were expanding with the early morning sun, so there was nothing left to turn on, no switch that could be flipped to make the feeling go away or fear subside. I tried to use logic to shake off the creeping dread that was ascending inside me, tried telling myself that the half a cup of coffee I drank was playing on my already frayed and anxious nerves. Just as I thought, the process was beginning to work, until my dread swiftly and unforgivingly evolved into pure panic as I began to smell rotten eggs and dead animals. It was like the smell was making my brain jump into flight or fight mode, which makes no sense because I've grown up in the mountains around bears, dead forest life, and even a mountain lion once briefly. Luckily for my brain, I'm literally already jogging, so I just follow my instincts and run the rest of the trail as I had planned anyway. However, instead of jogging back to my apartment the way I came, I just take the roundabout way through town after getting a Gatorade. Once my frayed nerves calm a bit and my rehydration is complete, I jog on the road back to my apartment for the last mile. I think tomorrow I'm going to take my bear mace. It's kind of big and clunky, but if it'll stop a grizzly, then it should handle anything out there. <laughs> there I go, giving my fear away to nothing but the ether again. Nothing but my imagination and empty radio waves. Sorry.
I'm studying the effects of frequency and vibration upon living biology. Well, I want to study, that is. After all my basic credits are out of the way, I could transfer to a more prestigious university with a better science department. Seeing as I turned the horror off after needless panicking, I suppose I finish it now. On the way back to my apartment, I guess I become a bit sensitive to caffeine after taking weeks off and making the preemptive decision to switch back to ginger and turmeric tomorrow morning. I mean, it had to have just been the coffee working on bad nerves. That's all, I tell myself unconvincingly. Okay, it wasn't the caffeine. It's been an entire 24 hours since yesterday's incident, and the exact same thing happened on my run this morning. I began listening to part two of the story I began the day prior, but after having to restart it a fifth time due to my now wandering mind and paranoia, I simply gave up and opted to listen to the awakening sounds of nature instead. That seemed to start working for a short time, with the early morning birds flushing off my unease with their sing-song melodies. Yeah, it was working right after the smell came back at a completely different location than yesterday, eliminating the possibility that I was just smelling the same dead animal twice. With the arrival of the horrid smell came the departure of every single sound of forest life, like a switch was flipped within the very primal core of nature. Life on, life off. And it happened so fast that the length of time it actually took seemed immeasurable. I stopped jogging completely now and held my bear mace out as if something would violently erupt from the woods and give frenetic chase after me. I was terrified of the unknown. Or did my instincts actually know something was out there and were desperately trying to scream at me that I'm very much in real danger? I ran the rest of the way in a cautious slow jog, my head turning back at random places whenever my nerves deemed it necessary. I walked all the way back through town, with the most recent incident overwhelming my train of thought. What the hell was going on? I think to myself like a desperate detective without a lead. All I know for sure is that if I'm going to keep running, then I'm going to need something better than just bear mace. She's definitely the one. I say to myself as the young woman jogs by, seemingly oblivious to my presence, let alone my true nature or what profound danger she is truly in. She does a quick spin turn whilst jogging, doing a fast check to see if anyone is behind her. She shouldn't have picked up the scent yet. Perhaps this one is a bit more in tune for picking up paranormal or supernatural presences. Perhaps this one is special and more sensitive to feeling life forms from beyond the veil. And no doubt, much more. As I see her nose twitch up and down as she squints her face, her aura changes, signaling to me that fear and anxiety are now bubbling to her surface. She just now picked up the scent, confirming my suspicions. For a force deep within her genetics, her very soul alerted her to otherworldly dangers before she even smelt the repugnant decaying rot that now permeates the air. 
The next morning, she returns seemingly both more aware and prepared to the paved, gravel and grassy trails of the Greenway Park. She is obviously more alert now, looking around randomly and unprompted at the misty forest scenery as if she's being stalked. She stops completely this time and holds out a can of bear mace like a pistol, feverishly looking around in fearful anticipation of some attack. She's definitely sensitive. I step back a bit, letting myself take in the big picture as I rub my silver crucifix with my thumb and index finger, making myself focus entirely so things don't play out too prematurely. She takes the public path back to her apartment through town, as she did the day prior, and I follow her closely from the sanctity of the forest the entire way. Since you don't have a concealed carry permit, you'll have to wear the holstered weapon outside of any clothing, so it's not illegal, the pawn shop employee tells me in a sick southern accent. Although I too was raised in western North Carolina, my father trained himself not to have an accent after getting into real estate and dealing with rich out-of-state clients, and my mother is from Huntington Beach, California so I never really grew up with the southern twang like the vast majority of my friends. So, is it legal to jog the Greenway Park with this thing flashing on my hip? I asked the employee, replying to his prior statement. Well, you'll most definitely get some sour or alarm looks, maybe even a Karen or two giving you a how-dare-you speech. But you just ignore them. There aren't any signs prohibiting it, so you're 100% in your constitutional rights, and there is nothing them or the corrupt boys in blue can do about it, he says to me more enthusiastically as he turns his hip and lightly taps the absolute cannon of a revolver he was displaying. The boyish grin leaves his face shortly after, now being replaced by a look of cautiously hidden fear as he looks intensely in my eyes. A young girl like you should find a nice safe gym to jog in. The Greenway isn't always safe, especially for college students right now. Tells me with genuine concern in his now lowering voice. How do you know I'm a student, and what are you implying by it's cautious right now? I ask with subtle panic in my voice. Well, I saw your college ID when you paid for the weapon. Plus... I had to run a mandated background check during the three-day waiting period for approval. He says, matter-of-factly, apologize to the man, letting him know that I've been a bit on edge and jumpy lately. Listen, he says in almost a whisper, as he leans across the glass counter and looks around carefully for any eavesdroppers before he begins. Have you experienced anything weird out there? He asked, have you noticed anyone following you or anything at all that would be reason for concern? He concludes, yes, I say without even thinking. Um, I mean, well, it's nothing. I'm probably just being paranoid. Is it like you're being followed or a smell of something foul at the same time that all the forest critters go dead quiet? He asks, even more hushed now. Yes, I answer in an alarmed whisper. Have you experienced it too? I mean, what the hell is up with that? 
The man paused for a long moment, seeming to have some sort of inner conflict. The kind of decisional turmoil someone has when they're keeping a secret that morally tears them apart. The man stayed like this for a short time before he finally exhaled loudly and looked into my eyes. For the past six months, this township has found two dead college students killed by unidentified predators. Yeah, Missy Martin and James Caldwell, I say, interrupting the man with pre-existing knowledge. They found them up by Albert's Mountain, close to the abandoned fire watch tower. Well, I think the paper said it was a bear attack or something. No, the man yells before quickly composing himself and once again lowering his voice. He looks out to the door to see if any customers are about to come in, before he continues. Those bodies were found ripped to pieces just off the side trails of the Greenway. They moved them to Albert's Mountain because it's a posted bear sanctuary, and the town didn't want to lose the presence of the tourists that pour into Greenway Park daily. Not to mention, the park borders the brand new golf course, so they don't want members going anywhere let alone lose more business to rich folks' pristine country clubs up in the highlands. The man started rubbing his face in the palms of his hands while sighing, the kind of gesture someone does when they're extremely tired or stressed out, before letting go of his head and staring downward, like he was almost ashamed of something. I was there, you see, he began. They sought out volunteers you know, locals, to help move the evidence and not to ask too many questions. The town even donated money to my shop, I guess so that I would keep my mouth shut, and I intended to. Told myself that it was the right thing to do. How would we catch the beast responsible and keep money flowing into the town with our silence so that we could all take care of our families? It's funny. The things you can compromise to do with good enough excuse. How can you convince yourself that you're doing the right thing in the end? The man said, shaking his head, still not able to re-establish eye contact with me. Here we are, though. No creature or predator caught in over six months. No leads. And now you are coming in here like this. Can't avoid it now. No room for compromise left in my soul just what needs to be done, what I should have done all along. I can't have yours or anyone else's blood on my hands again. Locals know something is fishy anyway. I mean, yeah, sure, Albert's Mountain is Black Bear's sanctuary, but in all my 58 years, not one person has been attacked up there. And now, two kids in three months. I don't think so. People just don't want to think about the implications of all this, so they pretend it's alright, because the second they question it fully is the second things become real. And my dear, ignorance sometimes truly is bliss. You want your wait right here? He says before walking into the back rooms of the store, where they keep pawned and private goods. About three or four minutes of hearing loud shuffling sounds and the tinkling of metal, the man reappeared holding a bulky, yet compact revolver and a Walmart grocery bag full of small, heavy boxes. 
That 9mm Beretta is a good weapon. Hell, it's what our military uses, but it's not quite enough for bears, let alone anything bigger or potentially more dangerous, the man says. Now this here is a 357 snub nose, and it packs a far greater punch than the Beretta. And plus, I replaced the standard rounds you wanted with high grain instead, giving it more destructive power. Well, I can't afford to. But the man cuts me off with a wave of his hand and a half a smile. It's on the house, he says while handing everything to me. Now one more thing, he says to me before I can even properly thank him. Here, he states, as he puts a revolver autoloader down on the counter, already loaded with shiny chrome-looking bullets. I had a few of these babies custom-made for me by a friend after the first cover-up. Even then, we knew something wasn't right. The teeth and claw marks didn't make any logical sense. I mean, they were canine, we did know that much, but the size and the specific shape was... Well, it was impossible. The only scientific explanation was some kind of mutated direwolf that managed to stay hidden throughout the ages, or an actual cryptid. Although this idea was met with mockery when I brought it up, there was no denying something unknown and extremely lethal was killing people without leaving a trace of evidence. Right smack in the middle of the local park, now my friend, who also helped volunteer that day, didn't fully believe me, but couldn't fully deny it either, so he made up these special rounds in case the impossible was, well, possible. They're silver-tipped, he says, answering the look of growing confusion displayed upon my face. Now, I don't know what the hell's out there, but just maybe these will help he says before wishing me luck as I exit the shop. As I glance back into the store window before getting into my car, I could see the man praying with his head bowed, closed eyes directed downward at tightly clasped hands, as he nervously mutters something I cannot hear. What the hell's going on in this town? I say to myself as I turn the ignition and start backing up, reluctantly trying to focus on my biology class in 20 minutes instead of the impossible wilderness horror that is slowly encroaching upon my life. My doubts towards the man's story, or more specifically, my doubts that he's just screwing with me, are snuffed out like water on a blazing campfire as I looked up the value of what he just gave to me. Easily over $1,000 for the weapon and ammunition, not to mention the sterling silver bullets and autoloader. Whatever the truth is, he completely believes what he said, making me acknowledge it as fact even more than I already had. None of this can actually be true, though. I mean, this isn't a story, this is real life, where the only demons are depraved and diabolical humans, or maybe even large corporations that have corrupted the nation until we were dubbed corporate America, but not literal monsters of fang and claw. Is this some sort of elaborately untasteful pre-Halloween prank? I mean, it is the month of October, but this town is even more of a we-tolerate-Halloween rather than actively promoting it. 
let alone embracing the holiday to the point of the residents acting out a collaborative, unified plot that borders on sheer cruelty. Either way, it's becoming evident that something is most definitely wrong. Things are not progressing as they should, not following the natural order of events dictated by my premonition, which is unheard of for me. Instead of the dream being followed by the predetermined natural sequence of events, like a concrete unwavering order from the universe, it's playing out more like a suggestion that now can be influenced by unknown elements outside the realm of my control, even act independently despite the shackles of my predetermined fate. There remains no doubt in my mind that she is very special. If she was born across the veil, she would most likely be a powerful force to be reckoned with by now. Her latent psychic potential has actually allowed her to alter the pre-existing timeline and therefore mold the natural course of events of reality herself to her will. I doubt she even realizes that she is doing so, with her subconscious mind's primal defense mechanism tapping into her latent yet powerful potential. I'm going to have to watch her every second now to ensure she doesn't accidentally draw in other forces to foolishly come to her aid. They will all just get in the way. They won't understand what truly is happening. They can't comprehend the implications of mere presence here, let alone the universal need and overwhelming desire to hunt my prey, to end their foul and corruptive existence from the earth forever. As I watched the beginning of the morning sun, with futile effort, tried to cut through the early morning fog like a spotlight in a hurricane, I stared curiously at myself in the mirror, hardly recognizing the battle maiden that gazed back into my emerald green eyes. I couldn't get back to sleep after a nightmare woke me up at 3.33am. A vision of a pale humanoid hellhound of impossibly tall height and a handsome man with one blue eye and the other, a glowing intense shade of yellow. So, capitalizing on my coursing adrenaline, I went ahead and did my morning push-ups and pull-ups before donning the tactical gear I bought from the army surplus store the other day after I visited the local pawn shop. I still can't get that employee's face out of my mind. With the 9mm strapped to my right hip, the 357 holstered up upon my left armpit, tactical combat knives fastened on my left chest and right boot, mace in my cargo pocket, and a Bear Grylls Parang machete on my back. I look like I'm about to go jogging through hell itself. I know there's something unholy and hungry awaiting me on my run this morning, something that has already killed at least two people and has methodically been stalking me for over a week. So why go at all, you may be asking yourself, and it's a very good question. Ka, as Roland the Gunslinger from the Dark Towers series would say, which loosely translates to destiny. All I know for certain is that I'm supposed to go out there this morning. An undeniable and powerful force has been pushing and steering me ever since I first became aware of the anomaly within Greenway Park, and although it strongly warns me of danger, it even more tenaciously alerts my soul to something else, something far greater and more deeply interwoven with my own personal fate. 
I've never felt anything like the aura of otherworldly power that has been slowly growing inside me, ebbing and flowing with profound, charged energy, like a supercell storm trying desperately to break free of its nimbostratus prison. I felt the manic balance of fear and excitement as I walked slowly to my front door, both preparing myself and embracing the feeling as I marched towards war and all the glory and horror that came with it. I felt powerful, alive, and supremely driven in a way I'd never felt before, like I had been living a half-life of quiet desperation to be then awoken by the universe itself so it could reveal to me my true identity. That's what it felt like, you see, like the old Jen had stopped to exist, had burnt to ash within the asylum of her own problems and hateful turmoil, for Phoenix to rise in her place, like becoming the paragon that you are, or could be. All I know for certain is that something powerful cries out to me specifically with esoteric purpose, and I intend to answer that clarion call. I will go on this hunt. Cover your weapons as to not alert it to your potential, I heard a voice say, as it eased its way into my mind like a suggestion of thought that gained more life and awareness with its every word. The voice was right. My chances of success will increase the more vulnerable I initially appear. I grabbed the dark green hooded raincoat from my closet, one that went down past my knees so it could fully cover my weapons, and then downloaded a specific rife frequency to my phone. You see, ever since I had developed the psychic inclination that my foe was inherently canine, I thought to capitalize on a potential weakness. When I first started college, the stress and anxiety, well, it blocked me up. After chugging a double dose of Miralax, I stumbled upon the rife frequency for constipation and thought to give it a try. The sound was annoyingly invasive, to say the very least, like a digitalized version of nails scraping on chalkboard. If you don't know what I'm referring to, go ahead and take a moment to search it on YouTube. Now, did that horrible sound actually help my condition? Well... I don't know, because I couldn't even listen to the noise long enough to find out. My point being, if this is the most annoying sound that I have personally heard, then a creature with hypersensitive hearing should be affected by it on a far greater level. I turned the lock screen off my cell phone to have the frequency ready at a moment's notice, and started on this odyssey in a slow jog. As my steadily advancing form cut through the exceptionally thick fog like a small plane parting the clouds, the voice in my head spoke again, warning me of impending danger as the hairs on my back of my neck stood up with noticeable electric charge. It sees you now, little one. Be careful, the voice said as I forced myself not to look around nervously, not wanting the entity to know that I was already aware of its presence. After a half a mile jogging at a slow but steady pace, the first telltale sign of trouble wafted its way into my nose with its sickly sweet rot, forcing me to breathe through my mouth to avoid the repugnant scent. As I began closing in on the one mile mark of my run, the voice spoke again, louder and more grounded within my conscious mind now, 
making my spine tingle with the very presence of its words. When you reach the throne, it will make its move, the voice warned me, referring to the tree stump that someone had carved into a rudimentary, child-sized throne that sat next to a bench facing the river. The aforementioned landmark was only about 400 yards away, making me slow my pace and gently touch the pistol holstered on my right hip underneath the green raincoat. I began to slowly trace my fingers across the gun's barrel so my reflexes would be ready to act at a moment's notice. It was time. She's more aware of the reality of what lurks in these woods than I even imagined. She has become mindful of my true nature as well. I doubt it, for whatever I am, both angel and demon alike have considered vexation when attempting to locate or control me trait that has proved to be very useful in retaining my privacy and clandestine lifestyle. I watch her close in on the one mile marker of her run with a nervous concern as I circle my fingers around the silver amulet, knowing that her potential psychic abilities have turned this flawed premonition into a haphazard free-for-all, affecting everyone and everything now involved. A familiar yet alarming scent forces me to release my amulet and to begin scanning the immediate area with my heightened senses. No, not now, I think to myself as a man in his late fifties, clad in full tactical gear, begins to inch out of the forest with what appears to be some kind of automatic rifle, parallel to the girl's position. It's the pawn shop employee. With chaos mere moments away from unfolding everywhere, I simply do not have the time or focus to try and read the man's present intentions. All I know is that he's here to kill. Rather be the girl or... It's too late. She's about to reach the small throne-looking tree stump. I have to act now. As I approach the wooden stump, I undo my raincoat just enough to allow access to my weapons without visibly revealing them and put on a show of mock confusion for my stalking spectator. I need not pretend to be afraid though, for that emotion swims through my veins vigorously, making my blood pump hard with its authenticity. I hear something large land about 30 feet behind me, making a pronounced yet muffled thud as it hits the asphalted section of the greenway, like an experienced predatorial cat leaping from a great height. Not yet, little one, the voice instructs me. It's not aware of your tactics. Be patient. Be brave. I steal my nerves and quiet my mind before I reluctantly turn around to face my pursuer, Confident that my rapidly growing psychic inclinations towards combat and the paranormal would harden my resolve upon first seeing the creature. However, nothing could have prepared my fleeting sanity for the ungodly and impossible image that now stood before me. It was so much worse than any nightmarish imagining that my sheltered human mind could have ever conjured. At first, I just saw a whitish-gray, fleshy mound hunched over and staring at me with two enormous, burnt, orange-colored eyes, with the mist so prominent that its full visage was mostly concealed. Although I had somewhat tamed my frayed nerves, 
the loud cacophonous sound of snapping and reforming bone, muscle, and tendon made me jump back as the creature began rising to its feet, its eyes now blazing with unnatural life, like two flaming jack-o'-lanterns. It must have reached nine feet tall by the time the monster's spine finally stopped cracking, with it now standing fully bipedal as it began showing me dirty white fangs within its sinister grin. A tall dogman of unthinkable design stood before me now, completely hairless in grayish-white skin and ears standing straight up, comparative somewhere between a German shepherd and a bat. Lure it in, and then feed it silver. The voice calmly instructed me, and I listened. Following the instructions given, I began to beg and plead whilst cowering my body into the lowest possible position, all but prostrating myself into the advancing creature. The more frightened I appeared, the more I could somehow sense the monster's annoyance at me, for it wanted to hunt, not be fed. Its grin turned into a scowl as it closed its final distance between us, and I was ready. No. Please, no, I whimpered as it finally approached me, and then it did something I was not fully expecting. It spoke. You disappoint me, Jennifer. I thought you'd be more of a... Fuck you, I said, interrupting whatever bullshit monologue it was saying, as I drew my three fifty-seven and loaded everything, point-blank, directly into the canine abomination. Three of my silver bullets found their mark, piercing his right chest, left shoulder, and grazing his head while taking an oversized ear clean off. The dogman tried jumping into a nearby tree before the sizzling and smoking flesh around the bullet's entry wounds forced him to lock up and fall to the ground, where he writhed the round briefly, before quickly getting up and composing himself. I foolishly used up all six of my silver bullets with my first initial attack on the beast, hoping beyond hope that my surprising onslaught would finish the job early. I could see the smoke that churned out of its bullet wounds start to die down, making me realize in regretful horror that I missed every vital organ, effectively wounding, but mostly just pissing the nine-foot monstrosity off. With now trembling hands, I attempted to draw the 9mm out from under my left arm, where it remained holstered, just to have my uneasy grip drop it to the asphalt with a metallic clank. As the creature lowered itself to pounce on me, its abdomen was hit with two shots in quick succession, forcing it to leap an extraordinary distance into the river where it went still and silent after the first splash. Are you okay? A man said as he appeared from behind a large oak tree, clutching a similar revolver to mine in his grip, just with far more tactical attachments customized into the gun's frame. It was the guy from the pawn shop. Hell no, I'm about as far from being okay as someone could possibly get, I remarked, as the man ran over to the riverbank to check on the creature's status. Damn it. Well, I can't see shit, he said, gazing intently into the mist-covered water. Skin's the same color as the fog, so it's possible to... 
but the man was cut off as a rock exploded on the side of his head and would have probably killed him if he wasn't wearing an old-school camouflage combat helmet, the kind of battle attire that would look right at home in the movie Full Metal Jacket. The blow still almost knocked him unconscious as he fell to the ground, clenching the left side of his face where blood was slowly beginning to trickle out. I sprinted for the pistol I dropped, just for the creature to then cut me off, landing in front of the gun I was running for with alarming speed, causing me to fall backwards on my ass unceremoniously. However, as my palms hit the ground to steady my descent, my right hand landed on my cell phone, where I wasted no time in hitting play on the frequency I downloaded. As the creature moved on me, moderately staggering now due to the damage it just took, the rife frequency started blasting through the calm morning atmosphere like an air raid siren. I threw the phone in the opposite direction of the pistol I dropped, desperately hoping to increase my chances of making it to the cellular device while hopefully avoiding the monster's elongated reach and razor claws. As the beast grabbed its head, letting out a high-pitched howl that hurt my eardrums, I tried running around him in a wide arc, hoping to safely circle around to my fallen pistol. Unfortunately, about halfway through my improvised plan, the dogman reached the phone and smashed it into the pavement. I know some of you might be asking, why even throw the phone and not just hold it to your person? Well, in the almost three seconds I had to contemplate this decision, I kept having a vision of it just following the noise all the way to its source and dispatching me rather easily. So I made a choice. Once the sound dissipated into the ether, the creature instantly locked its burnt orange eyes onto my emerald green irises, with the mannerisms now devolving from patient predator to rabid killer. As the beast began its frenetic charge towards me, its body was riddled with automatic fire, forcing it to halt its advance and take notice of its attacker. Run! The man shouted as he emptied his magazine and then pulled a pistol grip 12 gauge from behind his back peppering the creature with buckshot before it closed the distance on him. The monster was substantially wounded now, with the previous silver still boring smoke holes in its flesh and moving dark lines tracing up its veins, like it was being hurt far greater on an internal level. Instead of killing the man directly, it grabbed him and jumped into the water, and then up the opposing side of the riverbank where it carried him off into the woods as they both disappeared into the depths of the misty forest. The second I thought it was potentially over was the second I heard the man scream, followed by the atrocious sounds of something being eaten alive, like wet fabric tearing around broken twigs. Now I wasted no time in picking up my fumbled pistol, and as I frantically scanned the immediate area, I saw something chrome and shiny glinting through the pervasive fog about 100 feet away. It was the man's revolver, and if I recall correctly, there should be at least three shots in the cylinder. Three silver shots. I made it all of ten feet before the creature landed on the weapon, seemingly out of nowhere. 
As fresh crimson blood slid down its lower jaw, the monster's wounds began to heal, even the ones caused by the silver, although not as quickly. Before I could let myself hesitate, I emptied all 15 9mm rounds into the tall dogman, with almost every bullet meeting pale flesh. The creature acted more annoyed at the folly of minuscule projectiles than hurt, and with a dry click of my empty pistol, I pulled the parang machete out with my right hand and bear mace with my left, letting the spent handgun fall meaninglessly to the ground. Please, I pleaded to the voice. Don't leave me alone now, damn it. Don't let me end like this. No, you're not alone, little one. Not at all. The voice answered in a confident manner that sounded as if it knew something I did not. The creature slowly crept towards me with obvious excitement, indicative by its malicious grin on its face, before something impossible happened, or more specifically, someone impossible happened. Before my eyes and brain could formulate an explanation, a man appeared between the creature and I. And I didn't mean someone ran between us, no. Someone just appeared from seemingly thin air. A blonde man wearing trendy ripped blue jeans and a black duster jacket stood before me, facing the monstrous entity. The creature paused for a moment before making a statement to the blonde stranger. How dare you? It began to say apprehensively before its grin soon returned. No matter, just more meat, it concluded before continuing its advance. Now I swear I heard the man softly laugh to himself before he reached up to grab some kind of silver necklace he was wearing and then swiftly rip it off. The moment this stranger tore his silver chain off, the creature recoiled back in fear so quickly that it almost tripped over itself, having to use its oversized clawed hand to catch the ground briefly upon its descent. As the man took one slow and casual step forward, the monster took three steps back, almost whimpering, before it composed itself nervously. I assume you didn't understand the gravity of your foolish course of action until this very moment. The man said while moving forward, with the creature matching every step he took towards it, with at least two steps back. It's impossible. The beast roared in panicked fury. Those energy signals. It can't be. It's impossible. The monster continued saying as it lowered itself into a defensive posture. First off, the stranger began, nothing is impossible. You simple creature. Second, you're allowing the fear of this revelation to grip you to this very spot, instead of wisely absconding in order to try to save your vile existence. The man concluded while now visibly clenching his fists. What are you? The creature inquired, seemingly accepting this new scenario and speaking in a manner that suggested it had not in fact used up all of its tricks yet. I'm not exactly sure, the man said in response to the creature's query. Many have theories about my origin, but nobody seems to know it for certain. Wait, the creature began before it started laughing out loud with its deeply coarse and malevolent voice 
echoing through the surrounding area like a hateful, boisterous foghorn. The sound of its laughter was so invasively intense that it seemed to violently shake both my mind and organs with some kind of dreadfully offensive sonic vibration. You're here to play the hero, the tall dogman said as his laughter died down to a low chuckle. How divine. Now I must admit, I wasn't expecting to be the only one hunted, not at all, let alone being so overwhelmingly outmatched, the monster said while raising its long arms towards the stranger in a non-threatening defensive posture. Well, I hope you don't mind if I try to defend myself, the beast said as it looked past the man, tilting his head sideways towards another point of interest, towards me. As the creature arched its spine backwards, raising its head towards the sky with closed eyes, the man visibly tensed up before turning back to me. He looked right into my soul with his beautiful blue eyes, eyes that were rapidly transitioning from a deep ocean blue into fierce glowing yellow orbs. It was him, the man from my dream last night. Here! The stranger yelled, snapping me out of my thoughts and into the present dire situation quickly progressing all around me. Put it on! He instructed me as he threw his silver necklace in my direction, my fingers barely snagging it out of thin air, where I then wasted no time fashioning it around my own neck. It'll keep you hidden, he began, before an ear-splitting howl drowned out his voice with the creature's yowling cry carrying a heavy static intimidation within the unnatural sound. After he turned away from me, he picked up the revolver and threw it to me. As I picked the revolver up off the grass where it landed just off the wide path of the paved trail, I began to notice something wrong with the fog. All around the creature who had just finished its alien prenatural cry, Pockets of random mist began erratically coalescing inward on themselves, as if about a half a dozen points of origin spherically came to life arbitrarily around the dogman's howl, and then started imploding within their own existence. This continued on for about twenty seconds, until the writhing balls of mist suddenly and quickly expanded outward all at once in every direction like hot breath on the coldest of days. After the pockets of fog blasted outwards, shapes started coming into focus. Shapes that were at first a blurry haze, until their hidden forms were quickly proliferated into existence. The same abstract static background noise that was carried within the undertone of the dogman's howl grew in volume with the anomalies in the mist until the sound completely and suddenly disappeared, as the horrible life-forms within took their first abominable steps into our world. Some kind of dogs was my first initial thought after seeing the new creatures enter our plane of existence. It seemed that whatever accursed static sound I was hearing was simply an otherworldly frequency acting as some sort of vibrational medium, allowing these entities to travel at an interdimensional level. Dogs was not a proper description either, I thought as my eyes began hurting from all the squinting I had to perform, 
trying to see the new monsters from an obscure distance. No, more like furless hellhounds. They appeared to be smaller versions of the tall dogman who summoned them, even having the same pale skin and fierce burning orange eyes. Jennifer, the blonde stranger said calmly, are you wearing the charm yet? Is it around your neck? Yes, I muttered softly as the echo of my voice made all six of the hellhounds turn their glowing eyes in my direction, like they had absolutely no idea of my presence until I alerted them to it. Good. Now as quietly as possible, I'm going to need you to run away. Stranger said as he raised both his arms out, making dozens of large rocks lift off the ground and float almost motionlessly around him. Well, now would be a good time, he said, snapping me out of my fear-locked mind as I began slowly moving backwards. To the right, little one, through the river and over to the dead man's weapons. The water will help wash away your scent, the voice inside me stated. I wasted no time in following my new orders, running down and to the right of the hill that led straight into the river. I managed one small glance back before descending, seeing the subordinate beasts all run vaguely towards my direction in unison. The stranger moved his outstretched arms forward, propelling softball-sized rocks into the pack of charging hellhounds. A dissonance of whines and growls pierced the quiet morning air as the flying stones ripped three of the little bastards apart while viciously wounding a fourth. I dared not take a glance back as I made my way through the river, tripping over slick river stones twice before finally making it across. I used all fours climbing up the river's embankment before finally cresting the top, only stopping when I heard a loud splashing sound behind me which was quickly followed by two more. I turned around cautiously before witnessing the two remaining beasts search frantically whilst sniffing the air, seemingly paused in the middle of the river until they could pick up a scent. It was apparent that the hounds couldn't see me directly thanks to the stranger's silver charm, so I had to assume their only means of tracking me were by sound and smell. I nervously looked around the immediate area, scanning the forest ahead until I finally saw what I was so desperately searching for. A circle of splattered crimson lay about fifty feet ahead of me, no doubt where the brave pawn shop employee met his unsavory demise. Now I had a plan, and it was time to set it in motion. I slowly bent down to pick up a large rock I saw on the ground, carefully lifting it up as to not to rustle any leaves or break any twigs and alert them to my location. I took a slow and careful aim, setting my sights to a distant point off to the right, towards a rocky riverbank about sixty or so feet away. I could tell they had picked up on my scent by the sporadic flailing of their nostrils, so attempting to throw the rock back across the river in an attempt to lure them away would most likely be futile. After silently moving myself into an optimal throwing position, I pitched the large stone with all my strength towards them, watching it sail away silently through the air and land almost perfectly on its intended mark. 
The creatures wasted no time sprinting towards the sound, feverishly pawing and sniffing at the rock I threw for clues to my whereabouts. Before they could formulate an idea towards the direction of the rock's origins, I ran like I had never ran before. I sprinted with the anxious adrenaline that comes with true survival horror, not daring to look back as I heard the tumultuous sounds of the beasts in a frenzied pursuit of their prey, in pursuit of me. I had nanoseconds to come up with a remedial plan for my continued existence as I closed the distance between the dead man's weapons and myself. The creatures were much faster than I foolishly anticipated, and my plan to load the shotgun before they reached me was eviscerated quicker than my dwindling courage. Two shells left, little one. Use them wisely, the voice said, already answering my internal question of, did the shotgun have any ammo left? I saw the shotgun laying on the ground next to a tree, with what little remained of the pawn shop employee. As the hounds began catching up to me all too quickly, I pulled out the revolver I previously holstered as I reached the tree, and simultaneously dropped beside the shotgun, braced my back against the tree for support, and took immediate aim. With the first hellhound a mere fifteen feet away, and closing that distance impossibly fast, I fired all three remaining silver rounds. The first shot went wide and to the right, as the last two found their mark within the demon's head and chest. As I grabbed the shotgun and quickly looked back up, the second beast had just started its leaping attack at my face. With maybe a spare second, I rolled jumped out of the way just as the hellhound's face connected violently with the base of the tree, making a god-awful hard smacking sound as skull impacted hard wood. With one slight shake of its head and a sniff of the air, the beast had recovered and quickly found me. But I was already ready. Smiling at the monster behind the aimed shotgun, I let a wholly destructive blast of three-inched, twelve-gauge buckshot go directly into the creature's stupid, snarling face. As said face disappeared in a chunky, blackish vapor, that decorated the surrounding foliage in front of me. Without hesitation, I grabbed the ammunition strap that lay in a pile of gore, no doubt what used to be the poor man's chest, and loaded the shotgun fully, even chambering a shell in it so I could load more, making damn sure it was filled to the brim. After I fastened the remaining bandolier of shells to my own chest, I began running back towards the stranger to end this hunt here and now. I made it back to the river's edge, and I saw the stranger engaged in fierce combat with the dogman. Well, it's not entirely true, I mean, they were fighting, it was just entirely one-sided, with the stranger almost toying with the creature, the same way a cat would play with a wounded bird, or a slow mouse. The monster's entity had slash marks all over its body, along with similar large incisions that looked as if part of the creature's flesh had been surgically removed with almost impossible expertise, like parts of the monster's flesh had never existed in the first place. After a few more moments of watching their battle unfold, the origin of the creature's unnatural wounds became apparent. As the stranger stood grinning at the exhausted and now panting dogman, 
I noticed two gladius-style short swords in each of the stranger's hands. After a fleeting moment of recuperation, the tall, pale dogman charged at the stranger with such impressive speed that all I really saw was a blurry tracers of the monster as it repeatedly attacked the man in vain, with every failed strike at the man with its oversized claws. The stranger would easily parry away before slicing the creature with one of his supernormal blades. As the monster used its phenomenal speed to try and find an opening, I saw the stranger forcefully slide the two blades across one another, causing dark purple sparks to shoot out in spread pattern, burning whatever they touched as the dark purple sparks forced the monster into a painful retreat. It seemingly abandoned its defensive posturing and composed itself once again for some kind of desperate plea or final foreboding message. The dogman began smiling at the stranger. As it then straightened its back upright to appear more formal, and then begin to speak. I've accepted my fate, sir. I'm in no way a match for you, the creature said reluctantly. Even my speed cannot fully contest with your own, for you are indeed quite the hybrid anomaly. Now, I have no hope in beating you directly the monster said while lowering itself into an offensive stance, which went against its seemingly defeated words, making the stranger keep his guard up. Perhaps I cannot defeat you, but I believe I can defeat your mission, little hero. The creature said while baring its fangs in a disturbingly demonic ear-to-ear -ear grin, as it then turned its head in my direction. Before the entirety of my attention was pulled towards the rampaging demon in front of me, I saw the stranger merge his short swords into one another, causing a flash of dark purple light before my entire viewpoint became crowded with the sprinting beast in front of me. The shotgun would most definitely not be enough, I thought, panicking, but I was not going down without a fight. So I readied the weapon and awaited my encroaching fate. I fired one shot, then another, barely making the creature flinch. As I pulled back the shotgun's pump again to reload, I heard an electric rushing sound like kinetic energy surfing on a massive tidal wave. As I pushed the pump action forward, completing the chambering process, the monster's upper torso went soaring off its abdomen as a bolt of purple lightning cut the beast clean in half. As soon as I finished glancing back and forth at both severed ends of the creature, a blur of motion quickly appeared and then stopped before me, causing me to take a shaky aim once again. Sorry. The guy was quicker than I anticipated, the man said while holding his hands up in a non-threatening gesture, with one arm now holding a longsword with a glowing purple blade, replacing its shorter predecessors. The stranger casually waved his other arm, making a white glowing rune appear that hovered in the air briefly, before he thrust the blade inside of it, making them both vanish right in front of me. It was like he had his very own pocket dimension to hide things in, the same way a normal person would rent a storage unit. 
That was too close. I never should have toyed around with it for so long. I'm sorry, the man said to me. Are you alright? He then asked me in genuine concern. I tried to formulate words for a few moments before just giving up and running into his arms crying, thanking him with the raw emotion of my pouring tears instead of words. It can't hurt you now. Everything's going to be... The stranger was abruptly cut off by the enraged battle cry of the creature as its severed upper body went flying towards us with violent, killing intent. As I gazed into those burning orange cinders of eyes coming at me, the man chose to cover me with his own body for protection, rather than save himself. Just as we were both about to meet rabid fang and claw, the large oak tree in front of us came crashing down on the leaping beast, crushing its entire body to pulp, save for its head. The first thing I noticed after the conveniently felled oak was the stranger's gaze facing upward, with his mouth seemingly agape in awe. There was a shadowed silhouette barely visible above us, with the morning sun breaking the ocean of mist at the exact same moment creating the contour of a floating shape just enough to make out a humanoid form with colossal wings. As the figure disappeared with the radiant light and flowing mist above us, I heard the wheezing breath of the dying monster. Without giving myself time to think, let alone process whatever the hell just happened, I grabbed the shotgun and unloaded all five remaining shells into the dogman's stupid face until I heard the click of an empty chamber and saw a sight of a blackened, bloody stump where a monstrous canine head used to be. I began smashing the pieces of gore that used to be its head with the back of the shotgun, screaming and cursing. I not only let out the anger of almost being killed, but allowed a lifetime of pent-up rage to pour out with every smash of the gun and curse of the tongue. The stranger let me be until I finally dropped to my knees, exhausted, letting the gun fall to the earth beside me. As I got back to my feet, I saw the stranger and nodded upwards, towards the direction of the winged shadow had come from, seemingly to acknowledge an ethereal statement or order that I had not even heard myself. Well, you just keep on surprising me, Jen, he said. What is all of this? I mean, how is all of this? I mean, why? I continued stammering on until the man casually held up one of his open hands to calmly silence me. It's all in good time, he answered while taking off his jacket and wrapping it around me. Now let's get out of here before all the gunfire and commotion brings the blues here. The last thing I need right now is to deal with police. Um, sure. I said, forcing a nervous but welcome laugh out. We should probably find a more roundabout way, I suggest. Both main entrances will be swarming with police by now for sure. Don't worry, Jen. I happen to know a very effective shortcut, he said, smirking, before pulling out some kind of golden rectangular object covered in strange sigils. A golden blade, not much bigger than a pocket knife, sprung out from one end of the shiny box like a switchblade, before he plunged the knife into thin air and traced a large circle 
As he began drawing the circle, it left the line of golden energy in the air until its completion, where he then withdrew the blade and stood back. There was now a floating circle composed of this beautiful yellowish golden energy, something I would have certainly deemed impossible only a mere hour ago, but not anymore. And here I thought you were just some incredibly powerful psychic this whole time, but apparently you're so much more than even that, the man said, glancing back at me with a look of joyful excitement. What am I? I asked the man curiously, but straight to the point, no longer able to suppress the smile that was manifesting upon my face. The kind of childlike grin that comes from being mere inches away from the unknown. From all the answers you ever ask God or the universe being put literally right in front of you. The man turned to the luminescent circle he created and softly blew on it. Like a patient child blowing out their birthday candles. As the stranger blew air into the circle, the background image of the forest we stood in faded away being replaced by an elaborate manor sitting on top of a mountain within a different forest, and for all I knew, in a different world entirely. Ladies first, the man said while gesturing out his arm and bowing to me to go through, in a comically over-the-top butler fashion like one would see in older movies. Um, is it safe though? I asked, a bit nervously. Oh, of course, he answered while straightening back up and offering his hand to me. Let's walk through together, my friend. No more surprises, and if there ever are, we shall meet them concurrently. No more facing the unknown threats of the universe, or any other, by yourself. No, from here on out, we shall meet them together. Tell me, Jen. Have you ever heard of being called an angelic? He asked me as I took his hand and followed him into another world.